Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. On this week's show, I'll talk with Ken Fang of Awful Announcing to discuss the news that the NHL is returning to ESPN and the state of the NFL TV negotiations. Well, speaking of the NFL, there was a rash of cuts made by teams to get under the salary cap this week. The New York Giants are reshaping their offensive coaching staff. Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott got his money, and the NFC East is having an interesting offseason. On Wednesday, I spoke with our good friend Pat Leonard, Giants beat writer for the New York Daily News, about those topics. Pat, welcome back to the podcast. Hope all is well here as we get uh, set for uh, you know the start of the new league year. Hey, Ken. Yeah, no, it's exciting. Uh, you know, the salary cap set. The business is starting to pick up. Unfortunately for some players, guys getting released around the league. But, um, you know, the NFL's business rolls on. They finished the 2020 season. They have a Super Bowl champion. And now hopefully end up with uh, fans in the stands in 2021. And um, I'm looking forward to some road trips, honestly. Yeah, I, I, bet, crossed. You, yeah, I bet you are. Uh, let's talk about let's, the NFC East in general and the Giants in particular. Uh, you just yeah. had a story uh, recently uh, in the New York Daily News and online at nydailynews.com that uh, you know, Joe Judge uh, basically reformatting the offensive uh, coaching staff, offensive line coaching staff. Uh, he's looking for, I guess, improvement there. Yeah, so the coaching hires or changes they've made, a lot of them have been either rumored or reported as unofficial prior to this, but what was noteworthy about Judge's recent comments is that he detailed what all of these new coaches would be doing. And on offense, the most noteworthy thing is that there are four different assistant coaches now. And this is not including Judge himself and offensive coordinator Jason Garrett who are going to be charged in some way with working with the offensive line. So you have new offensive line coach Rob Sale coming from Louisiana Lafayette. You have assistant line coach Ben Wilkerson, who's a holdover from actually the previous regime and also last year. You have Pat Flaherty, the longtime Giants offensive line coach, who is back as a consultant. And now Freddie Kitchens as well is moving from tight ends to senior offensive assistant. And he's not only going to be working on the offense, but particularly is going to be working on the front. And the way Joe Judge described it was that he specifically was going to be working directly with Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator, on how the offensive front will look like. So the way that translates to me is this. The Giants and Judge, not only are they not satisfied with how the offense went in 2020, but their urgency is sky high to fix it, and now their actions are following suit. And what's interesting about Kitchen specifically is, of course, he's known Judge Judge since 2004 when he was a coach and Judge was a player and then a GA at Mississippi State. He even replaced Jason Garrett as OC in the week against the Browns when Garrett was out with COVID. And so it's interesting that a judge guy, an assistant he trusts, is moving into a more senior position on offense and that this is becoming such a collaborative process of not only working on the line, but also with putting the offensive game plan together. I think what it shows is judge 
really addressing as a priority and taking hold of the offense and taking ownership of the fact not only that they're the 31st scoring team in the league, but also that their offensive line is still just so far from good enough if Daniel Jones is going to be able to continue to develop and if this offense is really going to be able to carry this team along the lines of the Buffalo Bills and the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs and the higher scoring teams in the league who are competing year in and year out. Especially with the way that the, the NFC East played out uh, last season that really no, everybody stunk in that division. I mean, Judge probably looks at this and say, look, we could have won this division uh, last year if we had some kind of offense. It's a little, Well, it's a little bit of that. It's also a little bit of they're so young that, you know, last year, for example, they get into the draft and they finally use a couple. They did draft Will Hernandez a couple years ago, a second-round guard. But, of course, you see that they're not pleased with how he's developed. But last year, they finally go into the draft and they treated the offensive line as the problem that it was. They spent their first pick on a left tackle. They spent their third pick on a right tackle. But just because you draft those players doesn't mean you've solved the problem. And the way I look at it is not just, it's not just, oh, well, we could have competed better last year or we could compete better this year. It's about we have have good players. We're not good enough in some areas. And where we do have promising players, we need to develop them. Like this is a long-term thing. And this is something they need to uh, basically water, you know, like a plant. And so they have to give constant attention, individualized attention to these young offensive linemen. And they need to treat it as something that has room to grow and to develop. And it's, it's not a quick fix, I guess, is the basically the bottom line is how I could put it. It's not a quick fix for the Giants, but everything starts for them with solidifying the front And that doesn't just go for blocking for Daniel Jones either. It also goes for being consistently grinding in the running game, hoping for a healthy Saquon Barkley to really take control. And that, in turn, also takes some pressure off Daniel Jones. Speaking of Daniel Jones, he's suddenly the second most experienced quarterback in the NFC East. Uh, How much pressure is on him to uh, develop even further and get get this Giants team to, uh, to the playoffs? Yeah, a ton of pressure on him, um, you know, and as much as you and I just did talk about how they need to help him with the O-line and, of course, with getting a number one receiver and things like that, if you look around the league, obviously, the best quarterbacks make plays sometimes when they're not even there, when plays break down. It's not always going to be perfect. In fact, it usually isn't. And for Daniel Jones, he needs to be better in those moments. He needs to be better lifting his team when they need him when it's up to him, and he also needs to be better in the red zone and score touchdowns instead of field goals. There's a lot of pressure on him this year. I mean, listen, it's it's tricky because the Giants are never throwing in the towel in a season. So even when they say they're rebuilding, like they are now, they're not saying forget 2021. They're still trying to win in 2021. And given how pathetic the NFC East was last year and the fact that they almost won it finishing 6-10, and 10, of course they're hoping for and eyeing a division victory and a playoff berth in 2021 for Daniel Jones too. It's just more about, it's more about confirming for them that he's not going to be the reason that you lose these games. You know, if they don't, if they don't go 10 and six this year, but Jones shows you that when they get down in the red zone, he'll punch it in. And that if you're down one score in the fourth quarter, you can be confident that you're going to tie the game and send it to overtime. 
those things will tell them he's their guy or he's not their guy, regardless of whether they make the playoffs or not. Um, you know, but I because I think really he still has to take larger strides even to get to that point. Um, but for Dave Gettleman's sake, certainly a playoff berth is necessary. And for the team's overall reinforcement of their process and development, they need to take strides. And John Marrick, you know, and ownership can't stand another losing season. How much is Judge influence helping this team try to get on, on, the, on the straight path to uh, a winning season? And, I mean, are there any conflicts with uh, Gettleman? Um, you know, I think – I think Judge's presence, what it's doing is it's giving them a, a defined direction and a defined program. So, you know, Mara hiring Judge was really an out-of-the-box hire. You know, it's, it's funny, like, Giants fans and are so are so enamored with the job he did in year one, it's almost easy to forget how out-of-nowhere his hire felt compared to some of the other bigger names that were out there at the time. Remember, Ron Rivera didn't even interview with the Giants. Mike McCarthy was out there. You know, and then you even had guys like Don Martindale, Joshua Gaines was scheduled for a second one, and Jason Garrett was even going to interview. So the hiring of Joe Judge at that point, even though he was a Bill Belichick guy, of course, was a little more off the radar. Uh, But since he's come here, what you've seen is the Giants, when I mentioned committing to the rebuild, when Gettleman took over with Shermer a couple years ago, he knew that a lot of rebuilding had to be done, but the organization in 18 and 19 with Eli Manning still here, never fully committed to what that meant. They tried to plug holes with stopgap players, with high priced veterans. They tried to swing big with high draft picks. And once they got a guy, they figured they had that position settled. When in reality, they not only need better elite players at the top of their roster, they also need to fill out the depth of their roster as well. They need a stronger top-to-bottom team, and they need to sustain it year to year. You look at teams like the Ravens, who draft really well, the Patriots, where Judge comes from, um, some of these programs that are constantly reinforcing you know, positions on the field that you and I then don't always make headlines. The inside linebackers who also play special teams. Your second corner. I look at last season, James Bradbury was a great free agent signing, but with the DeAndre Baker fiasco and Ballantyne and these guys not working out and all being off the team, they ended up having to play on his own last year because they legitimately could not play man-to-man with the other corners on their roster. So you're, you're, this is a long way of saying Judge's presence has given them a direction of here's what we need to do. This is not going to happen overnight, but we're going to be prepared every week. We're going to give our team a chance to win. That's another thing I should say. Last season, compared to, say, Shermer's final year, I feel like Judge's Giants were, like, their team had a better chance of winning games. Like, they were in games later in games when they were down and when they were getting crushed, let's like, even look at the Ravens game. They got demolished in that game, and they only lost by 14 because they didn't give up because their defense forced a fumble at the goal line in the second half, you know, because Jones moved the ball a little bit. They just had a different sense of being in the games compared to some previous years, in my opinion. And I give that credit to Judge and how he prepared them. As far as you asked me about conflict with Gettleman and Judge, I don't see it as conflict. I just see it as. You know, I was surprised that Gettleman is back. I am surprised about that because I thought that was the opposite 
of hiring Judge. Mm-hmm. Like Mara hires Judge, and it tells me it's a new day in Giants land. And then you retain Gettleman and that front office and that evaluation of players and that draft record, and you tell me, well, we're only willing to change so much. So I wouldn't call it conflict. What I would say, though, is that it, it would be best for the Giants if the collaborative approach since Judge got there continues for the long term. But you're hitting on something in a lot of these questions that I think is very interesting, and it's still early, but Giants fans and the Giants as a whole, it's tough to stay patient right now because there's been so many years of losing for so long now, which is crazy because not long ago it felt like they were two-time Super Bowl champions. Yeah. Right? So so it's, it's crazy that it's come to this. And so I guess what I'm saying is this coming year, they might go 8-8, eight and eight, and that'll be unsatisfactory. And not making the playoffs is not okay. But they have so far to go to get to that level that they expect of themselves that it's going to take some time, but they have to stay the course. And if, if there is that conflict that you're, that you're asking about, if that does come to pass in that process, it will only gum up a rebuild that really needs not only time, but uniformity and a united front in its approach. Is Saquon Barkley going to be ready for training camp? Yes. Um, that, I mean, that's the track he's on. Um, you know, that's that, you know, what seeing him walk up to that trailer, uh, to get his, uh, COVID test late in the regular season. That's all I needed to see. I mean, yeah, he was limping, but he was off crutches already at that point. That's all, that's all I needed to see. Um, I think it's interesting with Saquon too. He's a guy that's eligible to negotiate a new contract now. He's coming off an injury, but he's also the bell cow and the center of their offense and their team. So will he get a new contract before the season? What will that look like? That's not an immediate thing right now, but that's something definitely to monitor down the road, especially if he, say, reports to training camp and looks great and looks healthy, then that's something I think you should definitely look for and will definitely carry at least one news cycle in 2021. Well, as you mentioned, the NFC East was uh, awful uh, last season, and it's been an interesting offseason, not only for the Giants, but for the other teams in the, in the division. We'll start with the big announcement Monday night with the Dallas Cowboys and uh, Dak Prescott getting his money. $160 million contract. That includes $126 million guaranteed. And a $66 million bonus just for signing his name to the contract. You and I could work to our, our dying day. We're never going to earn $66 million. But, I mean, how, how big is this for the Cowboys that they got this situation that really probably never should have been – Going, Dak should have never gone through this to begin with to finally get it out of the way. Yeah, no, enormous deal, you're right. And jarring in how usually in these deals, you know, the team gets something and the player gets something. I mean, Dallas gets a great player, no question, but it's like it's like the Cowboys caved on everything, on yeah. the negotiations. I mean, Todd France, the agent for Prescott and Dak, they did a great job here. He got a shorter term on the contract. The Dallas wanted a longer term. He got, you know, $40 million average annual value. Um, he got all that guaranteed money up front. He got that protection, the security. You know, I think it's great for him. I think he deserves it. I'm, in, I'm a Dak guy. Um, you know, I, I think that he has the goods. I think, I, you know, I remember being down on the field for a late-season Giants-Cowboys game a couple of years ago. It was that one where he kind of scrambled around and 
you know, squared his shoulders and threw like a 20 yard touchdown pass over the top to Cole Beasley um, and, you know, crushed the Giants' souls uh, late in the season. And, mm-hmm. you know, he just the way he moves, how calm he is under pressure, um, you know, he's a great combination of poised, mobile, and has an accurate and athletic, an accurate arm. Um, for the Giants' purposes, this is a very interesting thing because he's seven and two all time against them, and um, he's not to mention he's nineteen and six in the division. And so not only is he the senior member at the count of the quarterbacks in the division, but he also has dominated the division. Now, a lot of that happened, or well, basically all of that happened, with Jason Garrett as head coach. He's not there anymore. He still has to put together with Mike McCarthy. But given where the rest of the division is, you know, I think this is a great thing for the Cowboys. And I think their next step needs to be their own line not only needs to get healthy. I mean, their defense has to get fixed, too. But their offensive line was always a foregone conclusion as one of the top ones in the league for several years. And that's a lot of when Dak did that damage with all those stats. But now they need to make sure that they're healthy and that they reinforce. Just the way that the Giants need to keep drafting offensive linemen and reinforcing what they're doing up front. The Dallas needs to do it, too, even though they've been so accomplished there in recent years. And, and of course, the Prescott coming off that nasty injury uh, he suffered against the Giants early in the season. It's going to be interesting to see if he has that mobility back. There's no question about it. Um, All the reports are that he's doing great, and also that he was working out actually recently with the Cowboys at, at the Cowboys facility. So a show of good faith and that's something, you know, listen, this doesn't matter in the end if you lose, but his intangibles from the day that I've ever talked to anybody who knows Dak, his intangibles have always jumped off the page for anyone who's ever spent a minute with the guy. Um, and so he's a franchise QB in, in how he conducts himself and how he plays. Well, we'll save the Eagles for last, but the Washington football team decided to get rid of Alex Smith, a great Feel-good story from last season. Their quarterback, who had suffered a, a, a ghastly in, uh, leg injury, he comes back and plays well, and now they're without a quarterback. Yeah, and they're, they're an interesting team, of course, because while they won the division last year, and you know, obviously that's a sore spot for Giants fans given how it happened in Week 17. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, let, but, but let's be honest. By the end of the year, um, you know, their defense, their defense was the strongest side of of the ball of any team in the NFC East. So every offense, every defense in the NFC East last year, Washington's defense was the cream of the crop. And if they are able to, they needed an upgraded quarterback, frankly. And Smith clearly didn't want to be there anyway. They bring back Taylor Haneke, who gets to compete and luckily back up whoever they bring in. Um, you know, he obviously impressed against the Bucks in the playoffs. But then one of those teams, along with the Broncos and Panthers and um, you know, Dolphins maybe like in, or Jets, uh, Niners in the market for a quarterback right now, and you know they have some really promising pieces. They need a receiver, I think. You know they have Gibson though as a running back. Logan Thomas was really promising tight end last year. Uh, they need to fortify their line as well. You know I don't know where Darnold's going to land. I know there's a lot of buzz with him going to San Francisco if the Jets trade him, um, but. Washington's really interesting to me because I actually think they would be a flat-out really good team with a really good quarterback. The problem is what's the sweet spot for who they're going to land because they're not going to have the goods to trade for a guy like a Watson or a Russell Wilson and, you know, or anything like that. Plus those guys can control where they go. 
and they're not the leading candidates for some of these other younger guys too. You might have to find a value QB, like if I don't know, a Jacoby Brissett or you know, Cam Cam Newton obviously Ron Rivera knows him well. Uh Jameis if he doesn't end up coming back to the Saints. You know, a lot of guys to look into there. None of none of them maybe jump off the page to you, but you know, with capable QB play, they are a force to be reckoned with, I think, in this coming season once again. Now the team that you and I grew up watching in Philadelphia, the Eagles, have you ever seen an organization go from winning a Super Bowl championship to utter chaos? No, and no, and I, you know, what what I what I'm still just trying to wrap my head around is you know, there was clear friction all over the organization and within the, you know, and in the locker room, like as far as Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz and what was happening with the offense and who the franchise quarterback and Jalen Hurts is there and all that. But by the end, it seemed it it seemed from the outside like it was going to be one or the other. Like either Doug didn't believe in Wentz and by firing Doug, you know, Jeffrey Lurie indicates that he's sticking with the QB and siding with him, or you're trading the QB and you're saying he was the problem, not the coach, not the offense. The fact that they cleaned house like that, especially so recently, as you just mentioned, after Peterson takes them to their only ever Super Bowl, is just such a remarkable turn of events for that franchise that really, you know, the more people you talk to and – the more people you talk to who have been there in recent years and who are close to them, they would tell you, even when things were going well, that things in Philly aren't what they seem um, as far as maybe they're winning on the field, but they're not as stable internally. Guys are getting away with things uh, behind the scenes or a player like Wentz, for example, is able to uh, tune out criticism or critiques because he thinks he's above it or, you know, things that might seem small on a Monday in September, but by December, if it's become a habit, become a problem. And so that's where I think it went off the rails, you know, the little things becoming the big things. But now, of course, you know, I'm glad you're bringing it up because now we're coming back to the root of the issue here, which is that Jeffrey Lurie has shown his cards. If If we weren't aware of it already, it is clear now that he is more Jerry Jones than anybody realized. And he's the owner. Like, you know, it's prerogative. He's the owner. And, of course, he helped bring a Super Bowl to Philadelphia. So he deserves credit for that, too. Uh, But the, uh, you know, when you wield that wand and that all-encompassing power, um, you have to be held accountable also for the, the results. And where the Eagles are now is... They're a barren roster with a lot of mistakes made recently, especially in the draft by a GM who is, you know, enabled by the owner and who he has retained when if there was any argument for them falling off the face of the earth, it was really their failure to reinforce a roster that won yeah. the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, but now with Lurie, this latest report by Chris Mortensen of ESPN that Lurie has instructed basically the coaching staff in the front office to operate as if Jalen Hurts is QB1 and the build around him is so strange, both in coming out publicly and in its timing. You know, you have to believe that there's a possible public strategy there because they hold the number six overall pick, of course. 
So if they intend to draft a quarterback, do they want teams to think they're not going to, so it deters them from trading over them? You know, that was one thing I thought. I'm not against uh, sticking with Jalen Hurts and giving him a shot, but you know, you need to reinforce every position, and the Eagles, just because they think Hurts might be the guy, that doesn't mean you don't draft another quarterback either. Both could be true. Uh, certainly what's happening in Philly is that Jeffrey Lurie is controlling everything. He's pulling the strings. He's holding the strings. And, um, and you know, and so that's why they're in the mess they're in. And it looks like we have some Giants news. The Giants have released Kevin Zeitler. Wow. They released Kevin Zeitler. So this is breaking as you and I are talking. <laughs> so... What that means, let's break this down. <laughs> let's break this down right now. Yes. We can do it right now, okay? So Kevin Zeitler had a twelve million dollar salary due for this year and a fourteen and a half million dollar cap hit scheduled for twenty twenty one and the final year of his contract. So this clears twelve million dollars off the Giants cap for this year. They eat two and a half million dollars in twenty twenty one. But this, of course, is a player who the Giants um, acquired for Olivier Vernon and was packaged kind of in that whole Odell Beckham Browns trade. And so um, this is another indication, Ken, as you and I began this podcast talking about that this offensive line is a work in progress. Mm -hmm. It's very young and it's going to continue to be very young. And Zeitler might not be the only one. You know, we also have Nate Solder coming off an opt-out year, and the Giants can get a, a boatload of money on that as well if they do so. So keep an eye because the Giants are far from done. Yeah, and just one comment about Jeffrey Lurie. The only way Jeffrey Lurie, go, Jeffrey Lurie goes full Jerry Jones is if he has post-game press conferences. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But as you can see, it, not unlike Jerry. He prefers it to look like someone else is doing it. But really what we learned during this whole um, fiasco was that Lurie was the one making all the moves. Yeah, yes, indeed. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the NSCs. Pat, once again, let, let everybody know where they can find you on social media. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter right now at PLeonardNYDN, uh, reporting on the Kevin Zeitler release. And on Instagram as well, at Pat Leonard underscore NFL. So that's under, uh, at Pat Leonard underscore NFL on Instagram. And either today, probably tomorrow now, because of all this news breaking, uh, tomorrow being, sorry about that, uh, Thursday, yep, yep. Thursday, we'll yeah, we'll Thursday March 11th, I'll probably be jumping on Instagram for a live uh, Q&A with fans if everyone's interested. And one last thing, Pat. Uh, obviously, uh, you and I are both Holy Ghost Prep alums uh, down there in suburban Philadelphia. And uh, our, our basketball coach, uh, Tony Chapman, won his 900th career game last Thursday. You played for, for him. I was his team manager. Uh, just uh, how great was it to have Tony win his, uh, his 900th? Yeah, it was awesome to see. Uh, coach Chapman is uh, – He's one of a kind, you know, I, I wrote him a note after he, they got the win and I said, you know, you're the, you're the standard for the, a coach who knows how to work and win. And that's how I always think of coach Chapman is somebody who, you know, works hard every day, treats every day as important, doesn't take days off. And then the team play, the team's play reflects that, uh, been some great years there, some great runs, uh, into States. And, 
you know, I think the only thing more difficult in sports at any level than winning is winning consistently. And I hold Coach Chapman in the highest regard and couldn't be happier for him. Well, Pat, appreciate a few minutes talking uh, Giants and NFC East. And uh, the draft's coming up. We'll have to, you know, get together again uh, prior to the draft. Yeah, can't wait. Look forward to it. And anytime, Ken. Love coming on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Pat. Coming up, the NHL is back on ESPN. And what's going on with the NFL TV contracts? Ken Fang of Awful Announcing joins me next to discuss those topics here on the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Word leaked out Tuesday that the NHL had made a deal with ESPN to be one of the league's network partners. The deal became official Wednesday. It's for seven years, and games will be on ESPN, ABC, ESPN Plus, and Hulu. It marks the first time since the 2003-2004 season that NHL games are on ESPN. Tuesday night, I spoke with Ken Fang, who covers sports media for Awful Announcing. We discussed the NHL deal, what the future holds for NBC and the NHL, and the latest news on the NFL TV contracts. Well, Ken, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while since we had a chat. Hope things are well. Oh, absolutely. Everything's been going quite well. You know, I expect this week to be quite busy in sports media news, but the one thing I didn't expect, Ken, was to see stuff about the NHL. Yeah, Tuesday night, uh, breaking news out of from Canada when Sportsnet's uh, Chris Johnston saying the uh, NHL and ESPN have a seven-year agreement. It's First time since the uh, 2003-2004 season pre-lockout that the NHL will be back on ESPN. As, as we talk right now on this Tuesday night, not officially confirmed, but it sounds like it's, a, it's going to be confirmed soon. You know, it's interesting. When you see Linda Cohn, um, who's the big one of the big NHL mavens over at ESPN, retweet that story. And also one person who has an upstate New York uh, connection, Christine Lacey of uh, ESPN Radio, also tweeting out stuff about it. I have a feeling that the the, the people inside ESPN know this is pretty much official. What does it mean to have, for for the NHL, to get back on ESPN after nearly 20 years? I think it's a great thing. I mean, those of us who remember when ESPN2 was in its infancy, they relied a lot on the NHL for programming. And, of course, taking that one North Carolina Duke game from everybody, which was at the time ESPN2 wasn't on a many cable uh, home. So um, the NHL was big on ESPN2. At that time, you felt ESPN loved the NHL. And then it turned a, a bit. Uh, back when the aughts, and it's since been uh, almost practically shut off and almost nil uh, to the point where the ESPN, uh, the, the fans of the NHL at, at ESPN are, are practically begging for coverage. But to see this now, uh, and, and ESPN has been slowly getting back into the NHL with putting games on ESPN Plus, their streaming service, 
and uh, also the World Cup of Hockey, which was on a few years ago on, on ESPN. I think that was an experiment to see how the fans would react. I think now that uh, we're seeing with Jimmy Pataro, the new president of ESPN, uh, taking over for John Skipper a few years ago, I think he realized that how much that he wants ESPN to be everything to sports fans. They want to have every sport. And I think we're seeing uh, a lot of that now with rumors about the Monday Night Football um, package, which we'll discuss later. But I think now with NHL coming back to ESPN and having the NBA on ESPN and Major League Baseball, we're getting back to the point where ESPN is that sports monolith and was going to have everything and going to be everything to sports fans. Yeah, because you have you usually you see baseball games in the afternoon. ESPN has sort of got away from that, but yeah, with all those talk shows and uh, debate shows. But it's nice to see them getting back into what really the core of that network was. You know, showing sports programming. Absolutely. I mean, Ken, you and I can go back to the 1980s and wax poetic about when Tom Meese was there with and. Uh, when the NHL first began, and that's where we got our first taste of Doc Emmerich on a national level, along with Bill Clement as their as the partners, and then eventually it went into the 90s with Gary Thorne. Uh, so I, I think this is a good thing for ESPN. I think it's a good thing for NHL fans. It's definitely good for the NHL because now instead of having just one network carry all their games, which NBC and the uh, NBCSN were going to be doing, and we know that NBCSN is going to be going dark at the end of the year, you have two networks, and you have the Disney platform and the Disney promotion, which is definitely going to help the NHL. So I have a feeling that, uh, and plus the NHL is probably going to get more money out of this as well. So I have a feeling that uh, it, it works out for both parties, especially the NHL and, and ESPN involved. I have always wondered why the NHL, of the four major sports uh, leagues, they've been the only one to really just not have that uh, dual, dual network uh, promotion, yeah, you know, with the NBA as TNT and ESPN. Obviously, the NFL is all over the place. Uh, Major League Baseball is on multiple networks. The NHL never embraced that. I never understood why. And I think that to see that this is probably going to happen. Yeah, you know, we don't know what the situation with NBC is just yet, but we we think they'll you know they'll still be part of the part of the contract. But it's nice to see the NHL finally realize it's time to get in the 21st century and have you know, multiple platforms to show your games on. Well, they did it for four years in the 90s. If you remember, ESPN and Fox shared yeah. the contract. Right. But to be honest with you, unlike now where you see cross-promotion uh, amongst the partners, you never really saw that between ESPN and Fox. ESPN and Fox were in the midst of this war that they had back in the 1990s. But now you're going to be seeing a lot more cross-promotion. I'm sure you're going to be seeing NBC promoting games that are on ESPN and vice versa. So it's going to be a little bit better of a partnership uh, then that we saw with ESPN was just so angry at Fox and just was did everything it could to take the rights away yeah. from it after the in 1998, uh, 1998 1990, uh, 1999 when they finally took the rights away from Fox. So um, it, it, it's going to work out better, too, because, um, as you mentioned, two partners are better than one. Uh, it p- provides for more cross-promotion, and not only that, we're going to be seeing games probably on ESPN, ESPN2, I expect ESPN Plus because Disney is putting a lot of money into streaming, so expect a package on ESPN Plus. And plus, not only that, games on ABC, which is something we haven't seen, uh, dating back to when ESPN first had that contract. Yeah, that's going to be the interesting dilemma. Not dilemma, but 
yeah, where where will ESPN? What days will they show games? I mean, you look at you know, college football. The Saturday's going to be out yeah. between college football and college basketball. Uh, Friday nights is NBA. Uh, you know, Wednesdays also and, NBA. Wednesdays on ESPN too. Wednesday nights are NBA nights too. So yeah. and then and NBCSN or NBC likes to have games on Wednesday night. I'm sure that's going to continue on USA when. Next year, next year when uh, NBCSN goes dark. So I would have a feeling that ESPN is going to put games on Tuesday nights, maybe on ESPN2, maybe a Thursday night on ESPN2 as well, and then probably have uh, Hockey Night in I would suspect, this is my feeling, maybe they'll put the Hockey Night in Canada games on ESPN+. Plus. So those games would be streaming, and plus maybe a Sunday night game on, on the Plus platforms as well. So it'll probably be produced specifically for the ESPN Plus. I don't think they're going to be doing what they've been doing now is taking regional games from the Fox Sports Nets and put them and stream them on the ESPN Plus um, platform. I have a feeling this will be specifically produced for ESPN Plus and uh, the promotion that goes behind it and the 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 fact that it's bundled with Disney Plus and with Hulu. Uh, the power there is going to be tremendous uh, for the NHL. I don't think it's something that they could have, they could uh, pass up when ESPN offered them this money. Yeah, I could see that putting uh, games on Sunday nights once the NFL season on. You know, at seven eight o'clock uh, area where you maybe you know have a game on, or maybe even Sunday night doubleheaders. You have a game in the East Coast at seven and a ten o'clock West Coast game. Why not? I mean, I think the. Uh, the potential is limitless here for ESPN. I mean, the potential for them to to put games on a weeknight or a week and a weekend. I mean, granted, yes, they have a lot of college basketball and they have a lot of NBA and committed a lot of time to that. But um, that's what their plus platform is for, Ken. I think that's that's a big part of this whole thing. I think when we finally get the official word. And by the way, I don't know if you know, but I got an email from the NHL. Uh, saying that Gary Bettman is going to be available for media availability. Now, first was going to be talking about COVID, but I'm sure that this availability on Thursday is going to be talking about ESPN. I think that's where they're going to make this official is, is, is during this media availability. I think um, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, who's the vice president of the NHL, they're going to be coming out and talking. Um, at first, I was wondering why they would have this availability, and then came the news about ESPN. So I have a feeling that's when they're going to be announcing it. So, um, but again, it's going to be. It, it, I, I'm actually pretty excited. This is the first time I've actually been excited in a while about from an announcement from ESPN. Yeah, I mean, I, I recall back during the lockout when you know, the 2004 2005 season that was lost because of the lockout, and we we, we had a, a media availability a couple of days at ESPN. And I remember asking the question: Would ESPN consider putting? American Hockey League games on, and I got a stern no. So they, I mean, this is the time they, they got the NBA back in a couple of years earlier. They were oh, so gung-ho about the NBA, the NHL became an afterthought. Yes, yes. And, you know, I, I, a lot of that also had to do with their, with their uh, Vince Doria, who is, and I know we're going a little inside baseball here, but he was also one of the people who was ahead of SportsCenter. And he just felt that NHL was a regional sport, and he didn't want to give coverage to it on Sports Center. And I think that's a, that really hurt, and really hurt Gary Bettman, who who got who got very angry, and that's one of the reasons why they went to NBC for no rights fee for for a few years. But I also think that at, at the time too, the fact that ESPN went so gung ho on the NBA and really gave the NHL, which had really. Um, 
First Nation status with ESPN for a very long time until the NBA came in. So um, I think Gary Bettman got a little angry and then went away from ESPN. Plus, not only that, ESPN wouldn't didn't want to pay a rights fee after the lockout, too. So a lot of things came involved with this. But I think, um, as we've seen, time heals a lot of wounds. And ESPN got, got involved with the World Cup of Hockey, which I which they stole from NBC, if you remember, a few years back. Yep. Um, and I think that was a little experiment to see how ESPN would treat the World Cup of Hockey. And when Gary Bettman saw they gave it a lot of promotion and put them, put the highlights on a lot with um, on SportsCenter, I think that convinced that Gary Bettman that, uh, yeah, ESPN uh, can – treat hockey uh at, like they did it back in the 90s and the and the 80s and uh you know well it, i think that did a lot to mend a lot of fences with uh with, with the league yeah we mentioned nbc and nbc sports network that is we mentioned the nbc sports network will uh, go dark by the end of the year uh, what how surprised were you when that announcement came out that they were going to shut shut the network down I was quite surprised, but at the same time, I had to remember that John Oran, the sports business journal, had predicted, put that in his predictions. Um, I didn't take it too seriously at the time because I didn't think NBC would actually kill it, kill, it, kill one of its channels. But I think at the same time, it also wants to, it's realizing that their viewers and its uh, fees are falling for USA Network, so it's got to bolster that a little bit. So. Um, some of the sports that you're going to be seeing on NBCSN are going to go to USA in 2022. Um, to be honest with you, I never thought that he, that uh, you know when we first when Comcast first purchased NBC Universal, they wanted a challenger to ESPN. But I think they've seen that even though NBCSN um, has made some strides against ESPN, it's still never going to beat them. It's still never going to beat ESPN two, as a matter of fact. And, and, and unless it had gotten a, a major property like uh, one of the Power Five college uh, conferences for college football and college uh, basketball, it wasn't going to make that challenge. And uh, I think NBC saw the writing on the wall. It's not getting as much uh, fees as it was hoping for from the cable companies. So they just decided to um, uh, call it a night for, for NBCSN at the end of the year. Um, I am a bit surprised that they decided to give up so easily, but at the same time, they're also a network and a company that's looking at streaming as well and uh, and trying to bolster Peacock. That's one of the reasons why so many English Premier League games are being put on that platform. I expect to see the NHL on that platform as well. So um, NBC is probably going to take one of their nights. I don't think Wednesday night, but I think probably maybe a Monday or Tuesday night of games uh, because it can't put everything on USA Network. So it's going to probably put a Monday night game and a Tuesday night game perhaps on uh, Peacock and uh, have that on there in addition to some of the playoffs as well. Yeah, you can't interrupt all of the uh, Law & Order SVU shows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or or their wrestling shows on Monday night. Yeah, that goes very well for, yes. uh, for USA. Yeah. Well, other rights fees, uh, obviously the NFL is coming up. We're expecting some big news down the road where, as you mentioned, Monday night football, it looks like uh, ABC could be back in the mix for Super Bowl. Yes, um, we got word uh, last week that um, ESPN is going to extend its contract with um, the National Football League. Still not official yet, but we expect it to be announced that it'll be when all the writing is on the wall and when all the new contracts are announced, hopefully this week, 
that we'll see ESPN will have an 11-year contract. Um, they'll have Monday Night Football, some games on ABC, and that wild card game, which they continue to air, which was always not a very good game for them. Um, they'll be simulcasting that with ESPN, and then uh, because of this, they'll be able to get into the Super Bowl rotation for the first time in, since uh, the last Super Bowl, which ABC aired was Super Bowl Forty. So they'll be able to get back in the rotation and air it on a four-year basis along with Fox, CBS, and NBC. Um, what we have heard uh, from the grapevine, uh, I think most you, you and I both, uh, Ken, and, and, and the entire sports media uh, reporters who are covering this, is that this is going to be an 11-year contract. Um, we will see um, Fox, ESPN, CBS, and NBC all come back. Um, they're going to be paying a lot. Uh, doubling for most of them for probably uh, CBS, NBC, and perhaps Fox. Uh, ESPN balked at paying a double of their rights fee. But um, it, it's going to be something where all four networks will be, uh, uh, ESPN will produce the uh, Super Bowl for ABC. They'll probably air two, two Super Bowls during that period, while Fox, CBS, and NBC will air three. So um, it's going to be it's, it's a hedge against streaming. It, even though that all four networks will likely uh, have a streaming contract, but um, I would expect that all that this is going to be huge for their ratings and uh, for and a hedge against uh, cord cutting for people who want to leave and uh, you know for, and a good hedge for linear television. What about Thursday night football? I mean, there's talk about maybe Amazon Prime getting yes. the entire package and. I mean, how would fans react? Would would react to that? Not seeing games on uh, national TV, you have to get sign up to Amazon. Well, what's interesting, the NFL does these things in stages. We never thought that back in 1987 when they went to ESPN, people didn't think they'd go to cable as soon as they did. And then the next thing was going to go to streaming. We just saw streaming start around 20. 2011, 2012, so um, we didn't think that would be starting as soon as it did. But now the ES, uh, NFL has been um, experimenting with various streaming platforms like Yahoo and Amazon to see how the, net, how the fans would react. And I think they feel that now is the time to strike and, and get one of the tech companies in. So um, Amazon has been streaming Thursday Night Football, but sharing it with Fox. This time they'll probably have an exclusive contract we don't know how many games exclusively they'll have because NFL Network wants to be involved in it as well. So um, will it be an Amazon-produced? It'll be an Amazon-produced product, but we just don't know how many games will be exclusively on Amazon and how many games will be shared or simulcast with NFL Network. Um, but the NFL felt uh, they wanted to get some of that Amazon money and uh, felt feeling that um, Amazon Prime has been a very good partner and a stable partner and not having seen too many difficulties with its uh, platform for streaming when fans wanted to get it and get it on demand. So um, they feel the, the time is right and to, to get some of that Amazon money to, uh, especially since none of the networks want to air Thursday Night Football. Yeah, that's uh, it'll be interesting to see how that happens. And uh, it's obviously the, the local teams will, you know, those cities will be able to show the games even though they'll be on Amazon. So that'll be a uh, Probably a good thing. Uh, one thing, uh, you guys broke recently a uh, story about Joe Buck and Troy Aikman uh, having a little <laughs> drink before the game. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, I get, I, Joe mentioned that, and it, hey, hey, look, if you can get away with it, why not? I mean, it's not like they're getting drunk on the air. Yeah. It's not affecting them. They just feel like, hey, it's something to loosen them up and just to get relaxed for the game. 
I'll mention this. Um, I remember back as a 16-year-old reading a story in Inside Sports that Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire drank beer on the air and shared a communal cup. Now, when now when you're reading that in the days of COVID, you're thinking, uh, I wouldn't want to do that now. But um, it's interesting how things like that, what's old is new, new is old again. So um, I think it's a funny story. Uh, obviously, they felt uh, Joe felt it was good enough to share with everybody. Um, I think it's a, it's pretty funny. I don't think it's uh, egregious. They're not getting drunk. They're just, just, just having a little shot. So if you can do it, why not? Um, as long as it doesn't affect your on-air performance, Joe is one of the better on-air, on-air announcers, and uh, he's proven, at least to me, that he, he, he can call a game very well. So why not have a shot if, if you can do it before the game or actually right at the beginning of the game and not affect your performance? I think what Pat Summerall, one of his uh, – Phrase that they were out uh, having a few drinks was sprinkled the infield a little bit, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, those were those were the good old days, I guess. For because uh, you know, we're getting older, we can't do that stuff anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. And like I said, in the days of COVID, now I don't think you want to share a cup. No, not at all, not at all. Well, Ken, appreciate a few minutes breaking down uh, all the uh, TV rights. It's going to be. It just, you know, as you mentioned, you know, we have, by the time this podcast is posted, well, the NHL will probably announce the deal with ESPN. It's a, it's a great day for hockey. We'll get that uh, NHL and ESPN theme back, and uh, we're ready to drop the puck on the when the next season. We'll have to, let's get through this season first, uh, COVID-free. Exactly. But uh, the one thing, I, we, we all love the NHL on uh, ESPN theme, but I just want to see NHL Tonight come back, which is on ESPN2 throughout the 1990s. I would love to see that come back and with that theme as well because uh, that was a great way before NHL Tonight, which is now on NHL Network, that was your only way to see all of the NHL games plus cut-ins too. So I would love to see that come back. I think you get uh, John Bucigras and Linda Cohn to be co-host, you know, share the co-hosting duties and uh, bring an, you know, an analyst in or two and I think you're ready to go. Absolutely. Plus, you got Greg Wyshynski and Emily Kaplan, who are doing a great job on uh, ESPN.com. So they're writing for uh, the NHL, so they have a lot of insiders ready. So I, I think ESPN is, is jumping this in, is jumping in uh, with its uh, feet first instead of its head first, and I think they're going to be ready. The question is, who's the lead play-by-play announcer? You got Steve Levy? I would think so. I mean, Steve Levy is uh, a guy who is qualified to do it. He's done. Remember, he did some of the longest playoff games yeah. in the history of the NHL before NBC uh, came in. So I would think he would be the lead announcer. Uh, Barry Melrose has to be in there someplace. But I think the, uh, ESPN is going to be, be finding some new young talent to, to join those guys with them uh, as well. So it's going to be some uh, some great coverage, I think, from ESPN. Bring Darren Pang back as Levy's partner. That would be fun. Have them back. Oh, that'd be good. Panger's great. I love Panger. He does the stuff for the St. Louis Blues, so why not bring Panger back? Yeah. Yeah. Between Steve Levy and when I was covering college hockey, we've covered some of the longest games in hockey history. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those, those are fair. Oh, we can talk about college hockey. I mean, you, you and I would love our, love our college hockey, Ken. We can talk about this for days. Yeah. So, maybe we'll do that one of these days once we get uh, closer to college hockey uh, Frozen Four. So, hey, Ken, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, yeah, stay safe there, and uh, we'll talk soon. And by the way, before I let you go, let, you know, let people know where you can find you you on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Fangs Bites on Twitter, F-A-N-G-S-B-I-T-E-S. And I'm also writing for Humble Announcing, as always. And I'm always putting together the viewing picks 
every day, and especially this, uh, this time for uh, college basketball tournaments. You want to know what's going on, so uh, keep an eye for that uh, 7 a.m. Uh, hit uh, when we publish the viewing picks every morning. All right, Ken, appreciate it. Thanks again. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and announce the Week 4 winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Back to wrap up the podcast. Week four of the NASCAR season is in the books, and the winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest was Al Stoll of Malta. Al wins a $50 grocery card. Congratulations, Al. Anthony Manning of Colonial Car Wash was the winning VIP advertiser. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will also appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. That Mad March College basketball thing is on the horizon. Sign up for the Daily Gazette's Bracket Challenge, presented by Ultimate Roofing. Go to dailygazettecollegehoops.upickem.net to sign up and register. The first place prize is $500, the second place prize is $200, and the third place prize is $100. Plus, you'll have a chance to win national prizes and national bonus prizes of $1 million. So sign up today. The contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department, and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is here, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Pat Leonard and Ken Fang for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shots, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Party Shots Podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.